Well, praise the Lord and Merry Christmas. And I hope that you are enjoying it already and that that celebration has begun in your heart. The past several weeks we've been studying joy, and I can't imagine a better time, more natural time, for us to talk about joy, and yet joy is something that we are called to year-round, but it's very easy for us to study it and talk about it at Christmas. Matthew chapter 2, in verses 1 to 12, that will be our text this morning, we'll be studying there in just a moment. Our title of this particular study is The Habits of Happy Christians, The Habits of Happy Christians. All over the world this week, in thatched huts and secret underground churches and great cathedrals, brothers and sisters in Christ will be celebrating the birth of the baby Jesus. And we get to be a part of that, not only this morning, but every day of our life, we can celebrate the birth of Jesus. We know we ought to be joyful. We know that Christmas ought to be a time where you and I experience joy. But for too many of us, far too many of us, joy seems to elude our grasp. And we are wrestling while it seems like everybody else is rejoicing. And so for the last two weeks, we have studied this topic. We've seen, for example, that joy is a gift, first of all, that has to be unwrapped. We saw that in the life of Mary. She wasn't immediately rejoicing when she received news of her great assignment in her life. But she did rejoice, and it did happen for her. But it was a gift that had to be unwrapped. And what we saw, one of the key verses, if you need a memory verse for 2016, let it be Romans 15, verse 13. And the Bible says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. In believing. And we saw that the unwrapping of the gift of joy is, occurs as you and I rest in God. Rest in Him, rest in His purpose, His plan, and what He's doing in our life. And we have to let go of other things to do that. Last week, we saw that joy is a choice. We saw that in the life of the shepherds. We saw them make two very basic decisions. They decided that joy was something that that was a fact, something that could be received, something that could be accepted. They also decided it was something that they wanted, and they went after it. They went to go find what the angels spoke of. The very fact that the Bible says that you can be joyful should be enough that you and I would say, I want to go on that journey. I want to learn what joy is. Today, I want us to look at this question. What do happy Christians, joyful Christians, do differently on a regular basis? How are they different than you and me if we don't consider ourselves joyful? What do they do differently? And we're going to look at the wise men today. Look at verse 1. We heard this during the reading of our lighting of our Advent candles. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, 
in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, and here's the phrase that teaches us so much, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures... They presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the history of your son's birth, the story of his birth that changed lives 2,000 years ago. We pray this same story would change lives this morning in this very room and in countless homes around this church building. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Why were these men joyful over the star? That's what we want to explore this morning. The wise men came. We know they came some great distance, but there are many things that we don't know about the wise men. We do know that they arrived after the visit of the shepherds in Luke that we saw last week. We saw that they arrive after the presentation of Jesus in the temple, 12 days after his birth. In fact, they may be arriving as much as two years after the birth of Jesus. They are living in a home by this time. It's not a manger anymore. They have some kind of quarters, some place where they can live. And we want to learn from what these men were doing. We want to focus particularly on the habits, the things that they kept doing and kept doing and kept doing that are so valuable for you and me to understand. Now, before we dive into this, the habits of happy Christians, this is not a four-step process with a money-back guarantee that I can promise you that you do these four things, you're instantly going to be joyful. I'm not saying that. I am saying that when you and I learn to rest in Christ, there are certain things that you and I can do that position us, that put us in a place where we can easily rest in Him. We want to know what those four things are. We want to see that in the life of these men. And if you and I will set our hearts to do these things, I believe we will be in the best possible position to experience joy, not just at Christmas, but year round. Four things we need to keep doing like the wise men. Happy Christians don't stop, number one looking for what God is doing. They don't stop looking for what God is doing. In verses 1 and 2, it says, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They're certain it's happened. Not, we're not looking for the one who, who might have been born king of the Jews. We're looking for the one who has been born. And so there's certainty there. And then it says, for we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him and their sincerity. And so these men are persistent 
looking for what God is doing, looking for a king, looking for a child who has been born. They were called magi in the original language. The magi, best we know from history, were priests and scholars. They were, in some sense, scientists. Uh, they combined their observation of the stars with their, their study of religion. And they were trying to recognize who God is, where God is, and what is God doing in the world. That was their heart. And they were persistent at it. So much so that when something happened in the sky, they said, God is at work. God is doing something. They certainly were exposed to the expectations of a Messiah, probably by displaced Jewish people who were their neighbors. And since they studied all religions, they would have been well aware of that. We don't know the details, but we do know this. They were absolutely confident that a king had been born, and it was a king that needed to be worshipped. And that was on their heart. And so I want you to see the reaction of God's people. Now, this isn't on the screen. It's in the Bible. We see in verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. He was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. I want you to know that you're either like these men who are looking for what God is doing in the world, but if you're not looking for what God is doing in the world, you're going to be absolutely terrified at what you see in the world. You remember Ebola? That was going to be the great plague since the outbreak of AIDS. And people in the church, I'm not talking about outside the church. I know people in the church became so afraid that mission trips were canceled. People stopped doing what they had felt earlier God had called them to do. Fear caused churches to be attacked, pastors to be attacked. Why would you send someone near a country, next door to a country, didn't have to be in a country, next door to a country where Ebola had broken out. I want you to know that if you are not focused on what God is doing in the world, you are being manipulated by the devil. That the powers of this world, the ruler of this world, Jesus said, was not being influenced always by the Holy Spirit. There are people influenced by the Holy Spirit, but you can rest assured that although we are of God, 1 John 5.19 says, we know that we are born of God. We also know that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. You say, why that's important? Because I see Christian after Christian after Christian absolutely terrified based on no evidence about things that are happening around them in the world. You look at what they talk about, you look at what they focus on, you look at what they write about, and they are afraid. Why? Because they're being manipulated by the media and by politicians who get votes based on your fear. Now, why am I meddling this morning? Because we are supposed to be looking for what God is doing in the world. And we are not to be terrified or afraid of anyone or anything. We certainly shouldn't be controlled by that. Christians who are always looking at the world is doing are unhappy. And there's no joy because they're not resting in the Lord. And though they deny it, they're scared. The sky is not filled with guiding stars. It is filled with stars that are falling. 
and the sky is always falling. Totally manipulated. Let me give you a new habit if you want to form one this year. For every minute you spend watching the news, for every minute you spend reading the newspaper, spend 20 minutes reading God's Word. It'll change your life, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But you and I have got to focus our hearts. What is God doing in the world? Where are people being saved? Where are marriages being restored? Where are lives being transformed? I brought with me a visual. I got several of them today. How do you like these trees on the platform? I had nothing to do with that. But I did bring several things with me today. Here's the first one. You know, we have a habit every year, you and I do, of decorating a tree. Most of us do. If you don't have a tree that you decorate, well, you can practice here. But I brought with me a, a wreath. You know what that reminds me of? Reminds me of a golden crown. Where is he who is born king of the Jews? Are you and I looking for a king when we look at world events? Are you and I looking for a king in the circumstances around us? Are you and I looking for a king who rules over our life, a king that we can bow down and worship? We can, we can fear him because we know he has all power. We know he has all authority. We know he has all control in the world. Let me tell you what, you need a habit today of looking for what God is doing in the world. And so I'm going to put this on this tree right here. Just pick one. Don't let me forget to take that down later for next service. It's kind of disturbing when it's already there. We need to rest in his rule. If the God of hope fills you and I with all joy and peace in believing, then you and I need to look for what God is doing and rest in his sovereignty. Rest that he is in control and rest that he is in charge. One of the reasons you will never experience joy is if you are worried about everything else that is trying to rule your life. You need to have confidence that there's one Lord over all lords. Four things we need to do to keep doing what the, like the wise men. Happy Christians don't stop looking for what God is doing. But secondly, happy Christians don't stop listening to what God is saying. Look at verse 4. It says, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. This is Herod. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea. Herod should have known this already, but you know, and we won't go into his history, but Herod was a cunning and a crafty and a cruel king. He murdered most of his family, and he goes to the priests and the scribes, and he says, where's this king supposed to be born that they're talking about? And they looked it up. I think they found it in Micah, and they said, they said he's to be born in Bethlehem. And so he secretly, not publicly, he secretly meets with these magi, these wise men, and he, he makes a deal with them. He says, go find this person, go find this king, and then come back and tell me uh, so that I can go see him. And you know what he wants to do? Uh, he wants to destroy him. He wants to kill him. The point is, is that the wise men took the word of God as truth. When Herod, who was wicked and absolutely godless in his life, when he came and shared with them something from God's word, they took it as truth. That God was speaking to them, and they acted on it. 
You know, one of the most fascinating studies I came across recently was actually done in 2009, but um, some people were talking about it recently, and I looked it up. And, you know, for years, you and I have heard research studies that suggested that for the average person in the pew, the average Christian, that statistically the problems that we deal with, the things that we're not able to conquer in our lives, we are no different from people outside the church. We typically read statistics about divorce rates, about pornography, about alcohol abuse, about uh, sex outside of marriage. It doesn't matter what statistic you look at. Statistically, we generally tend to be the same as the rest of the population. Now, that ought to disturb you. That ought to disturb you. But here's the thing. What they found in the research, and they studied 40,000 Americans from ages 8 to 80, 40,000 Americans, and what they found is that there's a direct relationship between how much a person reads the Bible and whether or not they fall into these um, very powerful sinful behaviors. And, and between one day a week, two days a week, three days a week, anything three days a week and under, and statistically still there's no difference. People who are reading the Bible one, two, three days a week statistically have the same problems as everybody else in these areas. No victory. But starting at four days a week, going up to five days a week, six days a week, seven days a week, you see dramatic changes starting with as much as 50% drops in those behaviors and those activities. And so daily Bible reading every day plays a role. Now, they can't tell you why it makes a difference. They just know statistically it makes a difference when people are reading their Bible every day. Now, why does it make a difference? I believe with all my heart that people that read the Bible every day and who are affected by it, who are changed by God's Word, are doing so because they are hearing from God and it is filling their heart with joy. Increasingly, they are able to rest in His direction, rest in His power, rest in His control because they are coming face-to-face with God every day. Jeremiah speaks of the joy that God's Word produced in him. For years the law was lost, and then it was discovered in the temple, and he wanted to read it. Listen to what he says, Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found, and I ate them. Your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. So he didn't just Read it and say, well, that's nice. I'm glad. I'll go read one of my other Bibles and one of my other Bibles. And, they, you know, just having Bibles on the shelf and having a collection and just reading off a daily reading. That wasn't what was happening with Jeremiah. Jeremiah was reading God's Word. And he said, they're your words, Lord. They're your words. And when you speak to me, it fills my heart with joy. They are the joy of my heart. And so these men, these magi, these wise men who were looking, when they heard about Bethlehem from God's Word, they were excited. They were thrilled. And so if you're looking for another habit that will position you for joy, I've got a little Bible, a little New Testament here, and, and I would encourage you, if it doesn't fall, to read your Bible, to hear what God is saying to you, not just doing it as an empty rote Uh, repetition, but hearing the very words of God. Well, four things we need to do. First, we need to look for what God is doing. We need to listen to what God is saying. But happy Christians don't stop. Number three, going where God is leading. 
going where God is leading. Look at verse 9. The star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. You know, one of the first sermons that I preached here, I talked about this star. And there are different theories about what the star was. There are some people that try to look through astronomical records and, and tell us that it was a comet. There are others that try to tell us it was a conjunction of planets where uh, Mars or Jupiter and all these different planets lined up and it was exceptionally bright. But here's, here are three things, and uh, this is not on your notes, but this is free. Three things that you need to observe about this star that make it absolutely unique. First of all, it's memorable. These guys saw it in the east, and it was unusual. Now, Gail and I have a, a practice of going out most nights on our back porch, and we'll go outside, and we'll look up at the stars. And we'll talk a, a few minutes before we go back, go back to sleep, go, back, go to bed. So we'll go outside, and we'll look up at the stars. You know, when you do that every night, you start noticing things that are different. different. Different groups of stars appear at different times of the year. And you start seeing that. And, um, and so these guys, every night, that's what they were doing. They were outside looking at the stars. And they noticed a star, and it was memorable, and it was distinctive, and they remembered it. Now, at that point, the Bible doesn't tell us the star was moving. They just said, we, star, we saw his star where we live in the east, and we came to find, we believe there's great significance associated with this, we came to find the one who was born king of the Jews. It's memorable. Now, when they leave Jerusalem, after knowing that it's Bethlehem where they need to go, what happens? Well, this star that had appeared in the east reappeared, and what's it doing now? It's moving. It's moving. So not only is it memorable, it's movable. <laughs> and, and that's unusual. Now, now, occasionally I get these little text messages from NASA that tell me when the space station is flying over, the International Space Station. Flies right over wind. And you can go out there and it's just a little white, white thing. It looks like maybe an airplane or something, but it's not flashing, not blinking. And it comes, it just appears out of the sky, goes right over there and then disappears. It's reflected sunlight. Now, this star was kind of like that. It's moving. But then the Bible tells us what's most remarkable is the star that was memorable moving is now motionless. It comes to a spot right over where the baby can be found. Now, there's nothing like that you're going to see in the sky. There's nothing like that you're going to see that comes and stops over somebody's house unless it's a chopper and you're about to be raided. I mean, you're not going to see that. And that's what the Bible is describing. So, what, what was the function of that for these men? It was a guiding tool of God. It was something he was using to guide, the, to lead them. Let me ask you a question. You don't need to answer this out loud. Okay. When's the last time that you did something in your life because God led you to do it. When's the last time you, let, you did something because God led you to do it? I'm telling you this morning, there's great joy in knowing that God is leading and that you are following. To follow a God who is leading means you are setting aside everything else, and I'm resting in his leadership in my life. There's a company named Tesco in the United Kingdom that back in September, October, advertised for a position. 
someone they wanted to hire for their department stores. And the official name of the position was Christmas Light Untangler. Christmas Light Untangler. Now, you only had till December 11th to apply, so you passed the deadline. December 11th was the deadline. Uh, the job was to check lights and bulbs for signs of breakage, broken bulbs, and report findings to the customer. You could bring your strands to the store, and this new hire would untangle your strands. Handle customers' Christmas lights carefully to keep everything in tip-top condition. The ideal candidate is to be passionate about Christmas and be able to untangle three meters of Christmas lights in under three minutes. That's about ten feet. Ten feet in three, three minutes. When you know what God wants you to do, I don't care how complex your circumstances, how complex your situation, what all that you are trying to do, when God comes and he puts something in your life that lets you know that I'm being led, I am being guided by him, it has the amazing capacity to make everything really simple, really clear, and untangle all the complexities in your life. Sometimes you and I try to make decisions and we weigh out all the pros, we weigh out all the cons. We try to consider all the angles and all the difficulties and all the ins and outs of whatever it is we're trying to decide. But at the end of the day, once you know what God wants you to do, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. And that's where these men were. And so another habit you and I need to form, if I don't tear it up, is going where God is leading. Going where God is leading. And I'm representing it by this star that doesn't want to go sideways. There it goes. All right. A habit of going where God is leading. And when you can do that, you can rest in him. And when you can rest in him, he will fill you with joy. Finally, number four, the wise men and you and I to experience joy never stop drawing near to who God is. Never stop drawing near to who God is is. Look at verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. He cannot say it enough. The joy is overwhelming. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. And we go on to read how they fell down and they worshiped him and they gave him gifts. If I was going to summarize their behavior at this moment is that they could not get enough of God. They couldn't get enough of him. They were seeking for months, probably took at least four months to travel to Jerusalem from where they were. They were seeking him across deserts, across hardship. They came to Jerusalem. They, they had been walking or traveling for months and months and months. They, they get some biblical guidance. They're hearing God speak to them. They go outside, and this star is moving, and, 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 and the intensity of their joy is growing because they know God is in this. What they've been looking for in a king, he is leading them, and they come, and then they find the one who is born king. Didn't become king. He was born king of the Jews. And they can't get enough. I want you to see just very quickly, three observations of what happens when someone can't get enough of God. And again, we're talking about a habit of joy, and that's drawing near to seek Him, come to Him face to face. 
When I can't get enough of him, three things. First, worship flows. Worship flows. It says they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And you know, when you fall down to worship a baby, what are you doing? You're lowering yourself. You're lifting him up. You're lowering yourself. You're lifting him up. And it's a spontaneous response of coming face to face with a king. And you and I every day have that opportunity to do that as we seek what God is doing in the world, as we listen for his voice and his word, as we follow what we know God wants us to do with our life at any given day and any given moment. There's an overflow when I seek him and I find him. And part of that is worship. And worship is always yielding to him. It is submitting to him. It is bowing down to him. It has very little, almost nothing to do with what we sing. It has everything to do with what's in our heart. Yielding, bowing down, submitting, lifting him up, letting him be known, magnifying him, bringing all the attention to him. Worship flows. Not only that, someone who can't get enough of God, what happens to them? Giving grows. Giving grows. Verse 11 again, and when they had opened their treasures, they presented him gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And that's why we think there's three of them, because there are only three gifts mentioned, but we really don't know how many of these guys there were. There could have been five or six or whatever. We don't know. But there's three gifts given, and these are significant gifts, probably gifts that enabled them to go and live in Egypt when they, were, when they had to leave a place where they were going to be persecuted in Bethlehem and become refugees in Egypt. And staying there, that, that those gifts probably fueled that journey, fueled that stay, and helped them. But it, more than that, it signified a release of my stuff to the king. And it's always a symbol when we give that all that I have belongs to him. And a yielding to him. So when someone can't get enough of God, worship flows, giving grows. And then verse 12, we see intimacy deepens. Intimacy deepens. This is really cool. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed from their own country another way. What's cool about that is this. Here they are. They're somewhere over in the east. Okay? They're in the east, four months away from traveling to Jerusalem and they see a star, and, and that star is significant. And somehow, we don't know how, they reach the conclusion that it means a king has been born. And so they start traveling. All they had was what was happened in current events around them. All they had was their capacity to recognize that God was doing something in the world. But that's all they had. And then as they responded to that, and they persisted in that, and they didn't give up in that, they finally come to Jerusalem, and then they hear God through his word, and they learned that the place they're looking for is Bethlehem, and they had persisted, persisted, and finally God spoke to them. He spoke to them through his word, and then when they go outside the city, what happens? A star is moving, oh, and now they're rejoicing. The star that they remembered from back home now has appeared again, and it's moving, and then it comes to a stop over the very house in Bethlehem, over the very spot where Jesus is. Now, up to this point, they were just some guys from a foreign land 
who discerned current events of what God was doing, and they acted on that. They heard God through his word. They received that. They were obedient to that. God was leading them. They, they followed his lead. But then this incredible moment occurs where they go to sleep, and God speaks to them directly in a dream. Now, if you want an interesting Bible study, go through all the birth narratives of Jesus and see how many times God spoke in a dream to somebody. It's more than once. And God spoke to them, and suddenly their relationship to God, their sense of God is not from observing current events, not just by following what somebody else told them in God's Word, not just by sensing that God is leading and doing what He's doing, but it's personal now. It's personal. God gives them direct leading, direct communication, direct fellowship, a direct relationship. And so the intimacy deepens. And so the habit of drawing near to who God is, something you and I can do every day. And you say, well, well when I have a quiet time, that's what I do. I, I draw near to who God is. Well, maybe, maybe not. I mean, sometimes you and I can get so caught up in whatever particular approach we're using to our time alone with God, that we miss God. And there's great irony in that. There should be to you and me. When I go to spend time alone with the Lord, it should be like spending time alone with a friend or a spouse or a family member. And this, this word, he speaks to me through his word. But there should be this sense of growing intimacy between your heart in his heart. And so I would encourage you to join in this habit of seeking. I don't know if I can get this up there. I'm going to try. Woo. That's a picture of a baby in a manger who brings joy to the world. Joy. Because when he comes, I can truly rest. And when I know him and I've encountered him, I can rest in who he is. I, I, uh, I just don't know about him anymore. I know him and I can rest in who he is. Bottom line, the bottom line this morning is this. Each habit creates a focus on God, removes selfishness, and prepares the heart for joy. Each of these habits help in that way. Each habit creates a focus on God. I think that's the most important thing. Removes selfishness and prepares the heart for joy. Is your heart prepared for joy this morning? Are you uh, vacating the throne of your life and making room for the king to come and sit on the throne of your heart? When he is ruling, when he's in charge, you and I have nothing to fear, and we have completed letting go of all the things that interfere with our joy. And we're able to bow before the king. And when we are believing like that, he can fill you with joy. He can fill you then. Let me ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. We're going to pray together. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, in just a moment I'm going to invite you to do that. That is a once-for-all decision. And when you respond to him in faith, trusting that he died for you on the cross for your sins, 
and putting all your trust in him to, to be the Lord, the director of your life, when you come and put your trust in Christ, the Bible says he will change you from the inside out. His Holy Spirit will come to live in you. He will change you. He will make you new. His purpose in coming as a baby was so he could die for you on the cross and he could come to live in your heart today when you put your trust in him. And so in just a moment when we stand and sing, if you've never trusted Christ, if you have questions about your relationship to God, if you just need someone to pray for you, to pray with you, if you're struggling with the dark monster of depression, if you're struggling with sadness, if you're struggling with emotions that are stealing your joy, would you come and let these guys pray for you? Or grab a friend, say, pray for me, right there in the pew, in the balcony, or come down and kneel at the altar and pray. But use this as a time to respond to his Holy Spirit and what he's saying to you. Our Father and our God, thank you. Thank you for your presence here. We know that whenever you are lifted up and whenever two or three or more are gathered in your name, you have promised your presence. And we welcome you here. We ask you to take control and to guide us in these moments. And for that dear one who's struggling today, who wants to be joyful, but finds it very hard for whatever reason, I pray, Lord, that in your mercy and in your gracious way that you would come and gently reveal yourself to them, enable them to let go of all the false things that give security, and enable them to embrace you with all their heart. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.